0: uh <laughs> Tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. one 914 9149 As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's
1: 1-888-914-9149.
0: This is, in fact, a radio show
1: called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio.
0: Well, hello. Welcome back. I'm in a winter wonderland, which means I'm wondering how long winter's going to last. But um, at any rate, I say that a lot, don't I? The uh, It's a beautiful scene because I'm inside looking out, but uh, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. And they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray. Do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. And Lord, while we got you on the line, I'd, I'd ask you to bless my neighbor. I've, uh, I'd ask you all to pray for a very dear friend of mine who's a neighbor here and where I live, and uh, she's very ill with um, uh, the effects of flu and respiratory issues. Lord, for everybody who's suffering from the the weather and the, the illnesses that are going around. We ask your your blessing and healing. In Jesus' name we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, it's been a really bad flu season where I am and um, and everything else season. So eh, what are you going to do except trust the Lord? All right, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. Oh, this is all such great stuff. First of all, Again, I refer you to the citation from the Scriptures at the U.S.C.C.B. site, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. It's what I go to. That's the most authoritative um, source for the readings of the day. The uh, the um, you know the uh, you'll see variant readings, all that sort of thing. So that's why I go to the U.S.C.C.B. Uh, Different readings, different feasts, different places, but usccb that's what we're doing here however that said if you go to the site and you click on the little calendar of daily readings it'll take you to wednesday of the first week in ordinary time in big bold blue print. and beneath that is lectionary 307 for those of you who are lectors that's the reference that's the, the number of the reading not the page number of the lectionary uh, but the reading number 307 and Then in bold black print, reading one, there's a little dotted line under it, and then on the right side you will see one SM three colon one dash ten, comma nineteen dash twenty. That means first Samuel third chapter, first to the tenth verse, comma the nineteenth to the twentieth verse. They've left out nine verses because we're trying to get in as much Scripture as we can. And, you know, this is kind of a buffet of the of the Word of God. And, uh, you know, you can't have it all, but you can get a lot of it. And I remember I, I talked about reading the whole Bible uh, in three years, and someone corrected me. And I they were essentially right. But you really do go through the Scriptures in three years if you were to read the daily readings or go to daily Mass. Um, you'd get a pretty good... Uh, um, <clears throat> a hunk of the Bible, but moving along. I want to include those verses because I think they're very important. So we're going to jump down. If you click on that citation, it will give you the chapter. And we're going to go to it. During the time young Samuel was a minister to the Lord. And that's kind of an interesting word because the real word is, is, uh, it, it, it's related to the word for for, for uh, service, as in um, uh, to be when you have a personal servant, that's the word uh, shara. It, it means uh, um, it's a verb to serve, but it's it's an underling. It's it's a, a personal servant. Uh, so that that's what the word is there. Now let's go back to the reading. And uh, the word of the Lord was scarce and vision infrequent. Hmm, that's very interesting, because in the Old Testament, as in the New Testament, we are a prophetic people, and that doesn't just mean making bold statements about the, the political situations. You know, he'll talk about he was really a prophet. You know, he marched in marches and marches. Well, that can be prophetic, but to be a prophet is to is to speak authoritatively for God. Now, when I talk about this, I have to kind of precaution everyone by reminding them of what we read in the first letter to the Corinthians, uh, <clears throat> the uh, uh, 13th chapter, or yeah, I think 13. We prophesy in part, we know in part. You're never, any prophecy outside of scripture is not 100%. Any prophecy, and you know I'm big on things like Fatima, and that was very prophetic, but. It's not a hundred percent. There's going to be some human interpretation and error in it, and only that's why we have the scriptures and we have the teaching authority of the church uh, that that these are these are spot on. So uh, we can almost say this of our times: vision is infrequent, and the prophetic word is scarce. There's a lot of people who claim prophecy, but well, we'll see. Ah, I'm just. Blathering, one day Eli was asleep in his usual place. His eyes had lately grown so weak that he couldn't see. And this is an interesting verse: the lamp of God was not yet extinguished. Now, before the ark of the covenant, there burned a perpetual light. We get the idea of the sanctuary light from this: uh, that that the presence of the Lord demands that a candle be lit at all times. There be a light present there. Well, the lamp of God was not yet extinguished. Well, it was never extinguished, night and day, unless. The presence of God was gone. What we're going to see in this is the Ark of the Covenant, because it is misused. It's used in a superstitious way. It is lost to the Philistines. And thus the lamp of the Lord went out. This is a very powerful verse. The lamp of the Lord was not yet extinguished. We can interpret that literally uh, as being the light that burned in front of the... the, uh, um, the Ark of the Covenant. In other words, I the way I read this, the Ark of the Covenant had not yet been taken from Shiloh. The lamp of God was not yet extinguished. Or we can look look at it figuratively. When we have lost the anointing of the Holy Spirit or we have lost the state of grace, uh, which those are not necessarily the same thing, but state of grace is very important. We need to be in one. When we've lost it, in that sense, the lamp of God is extinguished. So Samuel sleeping in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. This temple of the Lord at Shiloh, remember I told you yesterday that Shiloh um, was the place of the residence of the ark and the religious center of Israel for 396 years and we never talk about the Shiloh Temple, it seemed to have been a, a sacred enclosure in which the, the tent of the Lord was kept. Now, whether the tent of the Lord was replaced with a physical building or simply surrounded by a physical building, it's it's very hard to say. Um, I, I don't think anybody knows. A lot of extensive archaeological excavations going on, on on the hill of Shiloh, and they found amazing things that really do corroborate the, the idea that this was a cultic center for Israel, but there are no remains of the superstructure of this, this temple of the Lord. Uh, um, so I, I think that's important to understand. Um, where was I? All right, so um, the Lord called to Samuel, who answered, Here I am. He ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. I did not call you. Go back to sleep. The Lord called Samuel, he went to Ailey, you called me, I didn't call you, go back to sleep. Uh, Samuel didn't understand this was the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. He had never heard God before. The Lord called Samuel for a third time, and then Eli understood the Lord was calling the boy. Go to sleep, and if you are called again, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Um, the Lord came and stood there calling out before, Samuel, Samuel, speak, your servant is listening. I've heard this paraphrase. When we pray, we are saying, listen, Lord, your servant's speaking. <laughs> no, I think it's so important that we understand this. We're the servants of the Lord. Um, We kind of think, at least I don't know about you, but I do. This is all about me. You know, this is God's here and he's going to do what I want and uh, God's job is to, uh, is to, is to give me what I want. Amen. You're the servant of the Lord. You know, we read in first John that children of God. So we are, that's what we are now. What we shall be has not yet come to light. There was no difference between a slave and a child, except a child had a good prospect. The father of, of a child was his absolute owner. Uh, Kind of interesting, Abraham Lincoln in this country um, considered himself as having been a slave. His antipathy, and he really did have an antipathy to slavery, no matter what they tell you. Uh, His antipathy to slavery probably came from the fact that, in a sense, he was one. According to the law of the time where he lived, everything you owned was owned by your father until you were 21. So if he made a nickel, it went to his father. And his father was very opposed to education. He believed it was unnecessary, and Abe was lazy and read books. There's no sense in it. You know, uh, Thomas Lincoln, Abram's father, would brag that he didn't have any education. He did pretty well, and of course he didn't. But uh, uh, Abraham really resented his father and his father's ownership of him. That's kind of what childhood was about in the ancient world. Childhood is kind of our adventure or our invention, Uh, you were a a child, then you were an adult and, uh, you were owned by your father, especially in Roman law. Well, at any rate, so we're the children of God now, which means that we are much beloved slaves who will inherit eventually. But we're servants. You got to remind yourself, you're the servant of the Lord. Uh, I mean, that's very, Lord, I'm your servant, do with me what you want. And that's the idea. All right, uh, well, let's get these verses that, that are left out today. Verse 11, the Lord said to Samuel, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it ring. On that day, I will carry out against Eli everything I've said about his house. I am condemning his house because of this crime, though he knew his sons were blaspheming God, he did not reprove them. Therefore, I swear to Eli's house, no sacrifice will offer will expiate for its crime. What was going on? The sons of Eli, uh, um, uh, I think their names were Pincus and Hoffman. I, I, I think no, that that's not their names. I, I have, I'll have, or I'll, I'll have to look them up. But the sons of Eli um, were stealing from the offerings. They were, they were abusing the women who came to pray at the sanctuary. They were just using the priesthood for their own uh, uh, advantage, and uh, um, uh, when he told Eli this vision that he'd had and the word from the Lord that he was going to destroy his house, uh, Eli said, what did he say to you? Hide nothing from me. And so Samuel told him everything, and Eli said, it is the Lord was pleasing in the Lord's sight, the Lord will do. So Eli was completely passive. He was not going to reprove his sons, and I think this is important for us. You know, when we're in the situation where our kids are doing something wrong, we need to. T- I, you know, I'm I'm guilty of this too. I, you know, I have relatives who who um, are have rejected the faith, and I I, I I I I'm polite, and you know, this is speaking to me too. I, you know, I have no children, but but. Uh, You know, I I don't think you need to be on your relatives like white on rice, but you need to know, you know, I wish you would get married because if you proceed in this manner, there's a strong chance you'll go to hell. You know, that's your choice, but I just need to let you know that uh, I think you should get it straightened out. Oh, do you want a cup of coffee? You don't have to be rotten about it. You don't have to, you can't force someone into moral, uh, moral life. But I think you have to be honest with them and say, this is what you're doing is wrong. You need, to, you need to, to, to straighten up and fly right. I think that's important uh, that, you, that your kids know uh, that you, you don't approve. And I, I don't mean that you kick them to the curb, you excommunicate them, you rough them up, you disinherit them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying they need to know. They do not have your approval for for uh, an immoral lifestyle. You, you can do it in a loving way. You know, I, I really wish you would would get right with God. Okay, let's move on. You know, you don't have to be rotten about it, but you do have to be honest. That Eli did not reprove uh, um, the the uh, his his sons, but. Um, Uh, he did um, uh, he he didn't reprove them he didn't he didn't tell them I know what you're doing stop doing it let's go to mark to the gospel Um, um, (laughs) it's one of my favorite verses in scripture it's Mark uh, uh, I think it's about uh, uh, 38 well Jesus The house of Simon and Andrew, Simon's mother-in-law, was sick. That's Peter, of course. Uh, He approached her, grasped her hand, helped her up. The fever left her, and she waited on them. (laughs) Uh, And then when it was evening after sunset, they brought to him all who were ill or possessed by demons. He drove out the demons and cured the sick. And then he got up very early, went off to a deserted place, and prayed. If Jesus had to pray through the night, I should never be off my knees. If Jesus, the Son of God needed to pray. How much more do I need to pray? Well, Simon and those who are with him pursued him and on finding him said, everyone is looking for you. And he told them, let us go to the nearby villages. This isn't quite what he said. He says, let us go elsewhere. It's one of my favorite verses in scripture. Jesus, they're looking for you. <laughs> let us go elsewhere. You can hear me clicking away. I want to get that Greek text. When they found him... <clears throat> they said, everyone is looking for you. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. All right. And <laughs> I said, good grief. The elevator music strikes. They said to him, uh, he said to them, let us go elsewhere. Agomen Alahu. I should have holy cards written up with that. Istas e a into the neighboring towns. You know, I remember in seminary, uh, when I was teaching in seminary, I went into the mailroom and someone had put a little essay in every one of our, our, our mailboxes, all the faculty mailboxes about how Jesus was radically available to everyone, you know, in his ministry in the world, he was radically, no, he wasn't, not at all. There's some people who he said, I can't help you. And when they were looking for him in town, I mean, this is great. There's not going to be anybody sick in town ever again. We'll keep him free medical care. It's wonderful. And I hear he can multiply food. This is great. That's not why Jesus came. He didn't come to make their lives convenient. He came to obey the Father. Uh, This is, he said, let's go to the neighboring towns so that I might uh, preach, so that I might announce the gospel. Uh, This is why I came. He didn't come to make our life convenient. I heard a wonderful thing. A Coptic bishop was talking the other day. He said, you know, the great teachers of of philosophy and morality and history, their goal was to make men better. Jesus' goal is to not make bad men into good men or good men into better men. Jesus' purpose is to make dead men come to life. That's different. Jesus isn't here to make your life better or easier. He's here to give you life. You think you have life, but you don't. Uh, Jesus wasn't there to make people happy, and he's not in your life to make you happy, at least not necessarily in this world. What's the purpose of life in the old catechism? To know, love, and serve God in this world, and to be happy with him forever in the next. We may be happy in this world, we may not be happy. The point is moot. We're the servants of the Lord. And I think it's real important for us to understand that love does not make life more convenient. In fact, is it's the opposite. You know, love is sacrificial. It's difficult. And it is, it is something that is often unrewarded in this world. And Jesus didn't come to make our lives easy. He came to make our lives real. And, uh, and, and worth living. So, all right. Well, that said, uh, that's my favorite version of scripture. Father, they're looking for you. Well, let us go elsewhere. I've always said the secret to a happy ministry. Know where the back doors. I'm just joking, but I'm not joking about this passage of scripture. Our job is to serve God, not, not just to make other people's lives easier. Sometimes God wants us to make other people's lives a little more difficult. Like when we tell our kids, you shouldn't be living in sin. You're going to go to hell and I don't want you to go to hell. All right. That said, let's move along. Oh, 888 Network sponsor Time Bank can make remote account opening easy. No matter where you are in the country, they offer mobile and online banking and knowledgeable bankers that answer the phone. More information at Time.Bank. That's Time.Bank. Member FDIC. Oh, this song reminds me of my old hippie days. Let's go to letters. I I think I answered this one, but I'm going to answer it again. It's from uh, uh, Brittany. Uh, You know, she wonders uh, when scripture says things like Psalm 25, remember, O Lord, your compassion. Why would the author say, remember? Uh, How could God forget his love for us? You know, I think i shared this with you. The Bible is very human and very divine. It's it's the story of our relationship to God and the way God is related to us over two thousand years. And those two thousand years would have been from Abraham to to through John, the the beloved disciple, who was probably the last author uh, to write a word of Scripture. That that this is this is human. And it's divine. It's uh, something, you know. The 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 incarnation is a very hard idea to understand, but it's central to our faith. That that the very heart of God became fully human in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. He is a hundred percent human in his nature and a hundred percent divine. A divine person with a fully human, fully divine nature. And the scriptures are fully human and fully divine. They are, in a sense an incarnation also, an enfleshment of of our relationship to God. And God speaks to us in words we can understand, and we speak to him in the only words we have. So when the scripture talks about asking God to remember, of course God doesn't forget, but we do. So uh, I, I think you just have to trust that, that the scripture's are, are written in human language for human beings by the God who loves them. So, moving along, I've got, uh, this is from someone anonymous. Our This is really tough. Our 19-year-old son has rejected his faith. Uh, he has not only become an atheist but pokes fun at our faith on a regular basis. Yesterday, he even scoffed as we arranged our nativity scene under the Christmas tree. Right after Thanksgiving, he presented us with a Christmas wish list. We're thinking of not, now this is before Christmas. I'm glad in didn't weigh in We're thinking of not getting him anything because of his open hostility to our faith in Jesus. My husband thinks this would be cruel and not a good representation of Christianity. What do you think? Well, my first thought would be yeah, if you don't believe in Christmas, don't get him Christmas presents. But then I think your husband may have a point. Um, I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do now. A lot of my family have rejected the faith, uh, you know, nephews, nieces, um, and and they know where I stand. Um, they don't mock me. Uh, some of them have been angry with me, but about clinging to these outmoded ideas of the faith. I I honestly have to say I don't know what I would do if I had a nineteen-year-old. I would certainly not discuss it with him. But you're supposed to some. You know that that um, I would I would say I believe these things are real, and I would ask you to respect them. Um, this kid's headed for real trouble. He's doing this to yank your chain, and I wouldn't let him do it. Um, uh, that that I, I wouldn't I wouldn't ask him. I I think in this situation I don't think I would ask him to to join us for anything with the faith, you know, and I would cut back on the celebrations of the faith. I would make your celebrations of Easter and of Christmas and of the different uh, uh, holy days very private, you know, that just this kid has decided to be on his own and he's going to go through some awful stuff. But I remind you of the story of the prodigal son when he demanded the inheritance from his father. His father let him go didn't pursue him there are times when you're to pursue uh your children and there are times when you are not to pursue them and this this kid was in essence uh, wishing his you know in the story of the prodigal son this kid was wishing his father dead i want your inheritance now in a sense that's what's going on with this 19 year old um don't give him religious books don't don't you know don't let him uh, um, experience life without without Christ uh, eventually he's gonna realize what he's lost I suspect but but uh, I may be wrong about this he knows where you stand and you you just uh, you you both need to, to really pursue the the life of grace and uh, um, Ignore him. He's yanking your chain. Ignore him when it comes to things religious. Ignore him. Uh, That's what I would do. If you don't want your faith, well, he's 19. I may be wrong, really pray about it, but I suspect that this is kind of a hard case. Okay, uh, let's see. This is from Dan. Um, Two questions he's got. Is there a connection between Jesus breathing on the apostles? For them to receive the Holy Spirit in Genesis, when God blew into Adam's nostrils. Yeah, and it was the breath of God. Remember the word spirit. In Greek, it's pneuma. In Hebrew, it's ruach. They both mean breath. That, that this idea of God breathing is, is central to our faith, and we never think about it. Uh, that, that this breath of God hovered over the waters. Uh, and and God blew life into Adam, and of course He continues to do that in the New Testament. He's not a new God; He's the same God, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Then you ask, uh, Dan, um, uh, John one three three. He says that those who have this hope in Him make themselves pure. Is the hope what's making you pure? That's a really interesting uh, question. That. I don't, I've always thought of it as, as, um, uh, you're preparing yourself, uh, to be with the Lord and, and, um, you've been given a hope. Now, now reform your lives. But on the other hand, you may have a point, uh, that, that it, it really is the, uh, um, uh, it really is the hope that's purifying. Let me, let me pull this up. Um, Okay, and, and we'll look at what the actual text says. I've, I've got it. I've got it. All who have... This is 1 John three, 3. Let's see here. Okay. All right. And everyone having th- this hope. Um, <clears throat> uh, in, hmm, the, the word is a funny word. It means to cleanse, to purify from defilement. The word is Hagnizo, which really means to, to make yourself ready sacrificially. It was a religious preparation. Um, so we go back to the text, and uh, um, everyone who has this hope upon him prepares himself uh, um, for this, this religious act. Hagnidze, is, Hagnidze is, is, is essentially, I sanctify myself for religious reality. And in a sense, I think you're right that it is the hope itself that sanctifies. That, um, <clears throat> you yeah, know, I love that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look Full in His Wonderful Face. The things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. That, that if we have this hope in Christ, all of our other hopes become kind of, oh, second rate. So, I think that, I think that's a, a I'm going to have to think about that, Dan. I think it, it is really a, a genuinely uh, good insight. And I'm, I'm going to, going to have to think about it. Let's see. Let me look at the, oh, we got more time. Let me do a couple more letters here. Oh, and by the way, there are lots of lines open at 888 914 9149. 888 914 9149. Yeah, I th- Dan, I think that's a really good insight. It is, it is the hope in a sense that prepares us you know uh, it's it's like for instance you got a lot of job offers and then there's one job offer that just stands out and you forget all the others you go for the gold that's what what we're doing in the lord okay let's see here all right let's see i think i did that one okay i did that one let me this one i haven't done Okay, this is anonymous in Florida. My husband says that we Christians should avoid wearing rainbow-themed clothing <laughs> or carrying rainbow-colored objects such as umbrellas or bags. He says that's because the rainbow has become the symbol of the oh dear LGbtqQ TUV E I O the bacon lettuce. I call it the bacon lettuce and tomato people. Uh, he says we should not have even the appearance of supporting evil. So what says you, Father Simon? Well, I'm torn about it. I don't like the idea of, of uh, taking something that is universal and making it kind of the, the sign of one, one movement or one group of people, even if it were a moral group of people. Uh, uh, but... Now, I don't want you to mention this to people, but the rainbow that is currently popular has six colors. The rainbow that God made, now this is a secret among us. The rainbow that God made has seven colors. This is biblically very, very significant. Seven is the number of perfection. Six is a very, very bad number because it fails to arrive. At perfection, the world was not made in seven days. The world was made in six days. The world as we know it is not the best of all possible worlds. Failure is built in. We read that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, in Romans, I believe the eighth chapter, uh, or is it the twelfth chapter? Oh dear, um, that he who the world has been subjected by to futility by him who subjected it. We're living in an imperfect world. It was made in six days. Six is a very bad number. Biblically seven is the perfect number. The rainbow that God made, as I said, had seven colors. So if you're going to have a rainbow, make sure it has seven colors and not six. The six color rainbow is not godly. And myself, I would, I would tend to avoid the use of the rainbow in the current times because it has become, uh, it's a confusing symbol. A very dear friend of mine is, uh, who was a soup kitchen director. Um, May he rest in peace. He had some rainbow suspenders. This would have been twenty years ago. And somebody said, You know, I you shouldn't be wearing that. And he said, I'm not gonna let any group of people tell me what I should be wearing and what I shouldn't be wearing. Well, somebody sat down next to him and said, Oh, I see you're one of us. <laughs> that was the last time he wore the rainbow suspenders. <laughs> so at any rate, oh uh, if you don't laugh, you cry. All right, so I would I would say you don't have to, but I think your husband's advice here is pretty wise. So that's just my suspicion. Anonymous in Florida. Let's see what, what time is it. I think we're going to take a break and we'll go to, uh, uh, we'll go when we come back, we'll have the word of the day, which I think is a fascinating one. And the phones are open at 888 914 9149. We'll be right back. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash forester.
1: The bells of hell go ting a for you, but not for me. All the death wells by sting a ling are by victory. If you meet
0: the Undertaker uh, well, and, uh, Oh, dear, yes. We will all stand before God someday. and Oh, dear. Well, let's move along. It's time to go to the word of the day. <laughs> oh, dear, this is such a strange show. The, the, the word of the day comes from the first reading when uh, Samuel... Uh, the Lord called to Samuel and answered, Here I am. That doesn't seem to be rather, you know, profound. But, uh, uh, um, oh, there's one other thing I wanted to mention, that uh, uh, the Lord came and stood. Very interesting. Uh, the the, uh, the Lord came and stood, or established, they translate it, uh, uh, the Lord came and revealed his presence. It really says the Lord came and stood. And stood there and you know, stood up there, but that's not the word I want to talk about. I want to talk about here I am because in Hebrew it's hineni, which hine means look, behold. Uh, when you say hineni, it's look at me. <laughs> that to me is fascinating that, that, uh, that here I am is what Samuel says to God is look at me. <laughs> This idea that the gaze of God is upon us is very important and know I remember hearing someone say that they they when they were little they were terrified because their God is always watching uh, God always sees us and then when they grew up and gave their lives to Christ, they realized, of course the Father's watching us He can't take his eyes off us he loves us but that idea of of look at me you know when you're when you're in the gaze of the lord when you're when god is beholding you well god sees you at all times but when god looks at you when god singles you out that's a powerful thing and god wants to single every one of us out he wants us to be his servants and that's what our life is supposed to be about that that saying to the lord look at me you know, it's what Peter said when when Jesus said, "Will you also leave? Where would we go? You have the words of everlasting life. Look at me." Uh, and that song, though none go with me, still I will follow. Look at me. I uh, I think that's a very beautiful thing. Well, that said, let's go to phones. <laughs> All right, Joni from from Chicago. What can I do for you? Hi. Hi. What can I? Yeah. What can I do for you? I'm wondering your... what is the
1: meaning of a Christmas tree, and why does God need angels?
0: Well, I think that's a very good question. The meaning of the Christmas tree. The Christmas tree may come from other customs. Before there were Christians, but we adopted the Christmas tree because it's an evergreen tree. In other words, in the middle of winter, it's still green. And it reminds us that, that, that even when we don't see God and we don't feel like we're living fully, that, that if we know God, we are, that God's love is eternal. It, it's, it's summer and winter. The tree is still green and in good times and in bad times, God loves us. That's the meaning of the Christmas tree and the the why did God make angels? Well, God made angels. He made lots of things because he's, he's an artist. God makes beautiful things because they're beautiful, but he made angels in a very special way to, to help us. The, the angels were made to help us. They, they were made so that they could love God, but then he gave them kind of a second job. Uh, uh, God loves angels just as he loves us. Uh, they're a different kind of creation, a different kind of being, but he loves them just as he loves us. But he loves us in a very special way because he sent his son to be one of us and he told the angels, I want you to take care of people. Does that help? Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. God bless, Joni. Hang in there. <laughs> say hello to your guardian angel for me god bless you let's go to erica from philadelphia
1: hi father thank you for taking my call um i i said to the screener that this is a lot of questions in one our daughter uh is in a same-sex relationship has Mm -hmm. been for about five years uh told us on the feast of the presentation in 2019 uh, she got married last year we did not attend the wedding we told her we cannot mm-hmm. you know yeah. I trying to call her to the truth and then last night she told me that her partner uh, just had IVF and they're expecting a baby in July mm-hmm. uh, yeah. from, from a sperm yeah. bank and they will not raise the child Catholic even though they're both Catholic and my question is what is my obligation my husband and I we have six children she's one of second to the oldest. Yeah. What is our obligation to that child? And they also don't want to have a relationship with us because they think we're homophobic because we won't go to the wedding or we won't. There's a lot of things we
0: yeah. don't agree
1: with. We're, we're practicing our faith. And we just said, you know, we, we're accepting you. We love you. But we we can't meet us anywhere in the middle because you're so, you want us to be like you. We're not going to be like you.
0: So. and they're not going to be like you. No uh, you know no. You, you have the, you have the, the same responsibility to that child that you would have to any other human being to be kind to be respectful and uh, uh, to, to, uh, to do what good you can. but you have no legal you have no uh, sacramental, no genetic relationship to that child. That child is ah. not a relationship of yours It's not a relative. He says, well, your grandchild, that's not, that's not our grandchild, that, that we hope that that child eventually finds his or her biological parents and, and, and uh, you know, that, that you've decided to do this and, and, you know, you got a conscience and we have a conscience right. too. We'll respect your conscience. You respect ours. We will be kind. We okay. will not be in any way hostile or unkind to that child. And if at some point you're reconciled to us and we, you come over for dinner and you bring this child, that child will be well treated, respected. But you've called the shots on this. You've decided we're not going to be part of your life. And you know, I, I would I would try to avoid the issue altogether. Frankly, that uh, that the, you have, you don't even have the obligation uh, to to. Uh, to 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 bring it up, uh, you you've made your mind known on this. Your obligation is to treat that child, that child's mother, uh, respectfully, uh, because they they have the they they are made in the image and likeness of God. But you have no legal, sacramental, or religious obligation beyond that of charity. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Thank you
1: very yeah. much. I appreciate that. Yeah.
0: It's got to be awfully hard for you i, I, I oh, it you know and yeah in my family we have not quite this situation but similar situations and uh you know uh, Saint Paul told us that with ears itching they would find teachers to suit their own fancy and uh, well there you go well i will keep you in my prayers nope. it's got to be very hard for you I all right it.
1: thank you so much father appreciate it thanks for taking my All time. right. Oh, oh and how old how old are you
0: uh, another yes. question how old are your other children how old are your other children
1: oh uh, so the oldest has three children and she's 37 okay. and this one is um 35 and she happens to be an ob
0: okay but the uh, uh mom, there you then, go uh your youngest child how old's your youngest child
1: youngest
0: is 27 all right so in other words these these children children of yours these children of yours may opt for a relationship with this child and talk about their nephew or their niece i wouldn't even interfere with that so oh are you going to come to we're going to come to the the ceremony no we're not well we're going to go okay that's that's your your choice i I wouldn't i would not make it an issue of contention God bless, and it's got to be tough. All right. God bless. All right. All right.
1: Yes, God bless. All right.
0: Darlene, what can I do for you? Darlene from Maine.
1: Okay, this sort of goes along with what she was talking about. Um, When you are conceived, and well, actually, before you are conceived, is there a soul? And when you are conceived, is is the soul in heaven? Or how does and know what i mean but um so that's no, a... that the baby that's going to be born that she's talking about won't that baby be born with a soul and like, shouldn't
0: we guide that baby well of course that baby's born with a soul but she was asking about her responsibility she has right. been given no opportunity to be responsible and she's not responsible this is not a gift from the lord to her uh at right. some point in the future it may change but This is not, this is not from the Lord to this woman. No, she has no responsibility in the upbringing of that child. Other than you would have in the child of a stranger. Now uh, the soul, the soul, we, I, you know, I, I, there's a better theologian than I, I'd like to be corrected, but the soul doesn't pre-exist the body. These things exist eternally in the mind of God for God. I always point out. There's no time. However, we are spirits. We are living spirits who manifest themselves. At least this is how I understand it. I may be wrong. You know, the scripture talks body, soul, and spirit. Well, isn't the soul and the spirit the same thing? No, the spirit is eternal, and the soul is eternal. The body is mortal. But we are living, breathing beings. That's what a spirit is, who manifest themselves in a body and in a soul. I am my body. I am my soul. In other words, before this child exists in time, there is no breathing being before the moment of conception that would manifest itself in soul or body. So the idea that somehow God's got this big box of souls and he sort of drops one in each person, I don't know that that's the way it works, that, that the division between body and soul um, is not what we think it is we're not souls trapped in flesh we are incarnate spirits and we are in spirits so I don't know if that makes any sense to you Darlene no I just
1: want I was just wondering like when you are conceived when you are born when when does the soul come in I mean
0: at the moment of we believe at the moment of conception, Okay. At the moment of right. conception. In fact, there's, there's an interesting study done that when when the male element touches the female element, there's a little spark. It's, it's actually, I think, a re- reaction of zinc or something. But it is kind of interesting to think that at the moment of conception, there's a little spark. And, uh, it's a chemical thing. It, I don't know that it's spiritual, but it is kind of interesting. So I hope that helps a little, Darlene. It's, it's kind of tough to think about these things because my body, my soul, my spirit, these are not separate entities. They're one entity. My spirit manifests itself in a body and in a soul. That's, that's, I've pondered this for 60 years and that's what I, is the best I can do. God bless. All right. Thanks for calling in, Darlene all right, let's 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 go to Anthony, who's calling in uh, from uh, let's see. Anthony's calling in from Princeton, New Jersey. What can I do for you?
1: Uh, good afternoon, Father Simon. Thanks for taking my call. I love your show. I just have a question uh, regards to uh, America needs Fatima yes and versus, versus the uh, the world apostle of fatima which is mm-hmm. which is, is there one different than the other or they both legitimate What was you choice? know uh,
0: the the, the uh, oh good grief let me back up on this i know of nothing uh uh, uh which of the two groups america needs fatima and what's the other group you mentioned the world i mean i know the world apostle of fatima uh, the USA, the Blue Army Shrine. And I know. That oh, the Blue uh, Army. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, oh, yeah. I right. I know of I I know of no uh, no. Uh, I know nothing bad about America Needs Fatima, you know, and it is a, a legal five hundred one c three charity. Uh, and and I, as I say, and they, I, yeah. I I know of nothing. Nothing. It's a very conservative group, but well. <laughs> I don't know that's a problem uh the the uh, i know of, i have know of no prohibitions against american it's Fatima. and if if the lord's calling you to that well the lord's calling you to that does that help
1: uh well yeah because they they, they claim to the, uh uh tradition and family i mean i like those
0: values but i wanted to find out exactly you know there's really never like
1: a church i mean uh I don't know. Yeah. I just want to take your take on it. You know what
0: I mean? Well, as I as I said, you know, I, I know of no prohibitions against it either uh, civilly or or uh, ecclesiastically. And if there are prohibitions against it, again, I would I hope someone would call in. I don't think there are any. Uh, um, right. So it's okay. to I, you, uh, it, Donate them to the best of my knowledge. I, I again, I cannot recommend it one way or the other because I don't know it that well. But I I I know of not. What I'm trying to say is, I know of nothing. Uh, opposed to it and again if there is some some uh, ecc- ecclesiastical censure i would love to know but I, I don't i know of none so i hope that helps a little anthony and thanks for calling in god bless you let's go to yeah, alex who's to do, calling right? in uh-huh. well thank you let's go to alex who's calling in from ohio what can i do for you hi can you hear me
1: here now
0: yes yes i okay. will all um, right do yeah, i Yes. yeah yeah
1: good I've been reading a lot and studying for a long time the idea of eternal torment of conscious souls. And reading uh, people like Origen and Clement and and also Jerome and other early on writers who I think uh, maybe... In the 4th or 5th or 6th century, you decided, maybe the 2nd or 3rd, around Tertullian and his ideas of, of eternal torment. We've and
0: only got a few seconds. The question, as oh, okay. I understand it, is all men will be saved. Only those who want to be saved will be saved. That's the thing about hell. The people are in it want to be there. I know that sounds nuts, but uh, I, I refer you to uh, Paradise Lost by Milton, uh, in which he puts into the mouth of the devil... I would rather reign in hell than kneel in heaven, and that's the thing about it, God in his mercy and in his justice allows us to choose hatred over love, and that's what hell is, to choose hatred over love. But you can be assured that Drew Mariani, he's busy choosing love all the time, especially when he says the Divine Mercy Chaplet.